Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, uh, myself and Justin will be recapping our Montana elk hunt where we spent 21 days in the backcountry going through it. So I just got home and I'm excited to, to be able to share all the details of this hunt with you. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need 
to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Some of the different topics that we go through has to do with locating elk in the heat. My buddy Tim's bull, uh, getting in the middle of the herd, being patiently aggressive, basically. Uh, My opportunity to once-in-a-lifetime bull, uh, how weather was affecting the elk, just so many different things that we've learned on that hunt uh, from being out there for that long. It was just crazy. It was, it was difficult, uh, to spend that much time, but I'm so lucky that I had the opportunity to be able to do so. And I'm excited to to share some of those learning lessons with you. In other news, uh, the new deer camp collection of apparel should be up on the website by the time this goes live here. Uh, the only thing that I'm missing that hasn't come in yet, and I can't get a, a, a date on it. And that's why I've been waiting to release the other stuff has been the hats, but Nonetheless, I do have the Blaze beanies, Blaze Orange Mountain Buck beanies. Those are in stock now and up on the website. The Deer Camp hoodies, shirts, stickers. I got some new koozies. Got a whole bunch of stuff that's that's up there. So I uh, appreciate you guys checking that out. And if you like some of it and and want to purchase it, I always appreciate that. And now we're gonna be we're gonna be shifting gears after this one and focusing a lot on whitetail. Uh, I'm going to start bringing back some Mountain Buck Monday episodes, have a couple episodes during the week. They're going to bring back Mountain Buck Mondays in general. All of those different things will be on their way back. Uh, I'm only here this week uh, back in Pennsylvania. I won't even be here for the opener. I'll be heading to Illinois, as I mentioned in this podcast. It came out of nowhere, but I'm going to be doing a hunt out there um, on the behalf of Quiet Cat, who I'd uh, and I'll go into detail a little bit later here in the episode, but basically I've known one of their sales guys. I used to be a dealer for them a long time ago when I worked in archery shop and got the opportunity to go out and hunt some private farm country, uh, and be able to, and basically just like turn us loose. So it's a place they, they run an outfitting business out of, uh, but they don't do it in the early season. So there's a few of us that are getting to go out and see if we can, you know, take, put our spin on it and see if we can figure it out in four days. So that's a change of change of things there for me. Never did anything like that. Haven't hunted farm country in like, I don't know, six or seven years. So that'll be, that'll be a fun change for sure. And I may even drive straight from there to West Virginia, get some cameras out and start, start doing a little bit of scouting, maybe a couple days of hunting down there before I come back home and then spend the rest of October here in Pennsylvania, um, doing hunting and trying to put out a bunch of content here to, to help all of you during the season. Uh, if you have any, anything specific, uh, that you want to hear, or if you want me to do another Q and a podcast, any of that stuff, uh, please shoot me an email. I'd love to Love to be able to help you out and gear things towards that. So uh, with that being said, I hope that you enjoy this podcast. I hope you get some some things that you learned out of it, picked up on it. If you ever get a chance to be able to to try something out of your comfort zone, try a new hunt and and do the, like that we did on this one, it was just 
such an awesome experience. So can't wait for everyone to get to check out the film when that comes out, uh, probably later this year, early next year. So a lot of, a lot of cool stuff here, but anyways, have a great week and good luck to everyone for some of the openers that are coming up at the end of this week and weekend. So good luck to you and we will talk to you soon. All right, we're live. Justin Mueller, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. I appreciate you having me. It feels good to be back on. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been since the scouting camp here, but uh, we've just finished up 21 days together. Yeah, we did. 21 days in the <laughs> in the backcountry. It's just you and me. And me and you. And the elk. And the elk. Yeah. Oh, and Tim. Tim and joined. Tim, yeah. It, I will say, though, like 21 days is a long time for one run, but it feels like it went really fast. Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely did. So we we've been backpacked in for just about every dang day of this trip, which was not the plan. If anybody listened to kind of my game plan going in uh, to this this hunt, it was to scout backpack in for the first three days of the season, scout a little bit, and then you know check out some other areas. But we found elk right away, and we never left. We never left that area, so we were we were backpacked in for all twenty days, which is is a long time to to be living in a tent on a little air pad back in the in the mountains. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll take it though. I'd way rather have that the way we had than running around trying to locate them. I mean, within the first two hours of the first morning, I kind of had a feeling we were going to be spending a lot of time in there. Yeah, no, that 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 <laughs> definitely made a lot of sense. But so we're back. We're back here at the truck now um, after all this time enjoying some big truck beer. You got the K5 Topless Blonde, which is a blonde ale by Big Truck. And then I also have the Half Cab, which is just a like a hazy IPA essentially. And yeah, so this is this is kind of our, you know, we did our work and we're done now. Um, and yeah, we're just enjoying a good, good beer and, and recapping kind of the hunt there. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, what is it? Noon, perfect time for a beer in the afternoon, but it was well needed after all of the hiking and the, you know, we packed all of our camp out last night, uh, got everything ready for, you know, today to kind of hit the road, but very much needed drink. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. <laughs> we were both saying our bodies are kind of, uh, and minds are both shutting down. The last few days, um, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll go back to the beginning and kind of explain everything what went on with this hunt. So I want to I want to start off by saying that you know coming into this hunt, I had a pretty good inclination that we could find elk, and the reason for saying that was. At Spring Bear hunted uh, the area. That was kind of uh, one of the reasons for bear hunting it is a scouting trip for elk too. Um, so that's something that I think it was super valuable. The fact that that we were able to spend some time in the spring, you know, bear hunting and finding elk sign and found some areas that look like okay, there's a lot of rut sign here. There's yeah, a ton of rubs. Oh, they just it looked really good and. So we're like, okay, that made sense. And, and it just so happened that uh, my buddy, Tim Bueno, who I met back when he lived in New York, who lives in Montana now, um, I met him quite a while ago back in train to hunt competitions. And I need to get Tim on the podcast. I've been saying that for a long time, but I will. And uh, Tim had 
uh, coming, he had, he was actually also hunting the area and didn't know that until my brother told me when I picked the area for, for bear hunting. And then, so Tim, you know, bear hunted a little bit, not with us, but we camped together. And then, then he also just having the Montana license, uh, was deciding he was going to elk hunt the area too. And he came in a couple weeks before and put up some trail cameras and stuff that, that, we didn't really use that trail camera information for anything other than knowing that, yeah, there's, there's bulls in here. Yeah. And, um, you know, he found some elk, uh, on some different ridges and stuff when he was scouting. So that was, that was helpful, you know, going into it, knowing that there was elk at least a few weeks before the season in there. So we came in the day before the season, uh, we got, got the quiet cats out. We brought them along for the hunt because, the area we were, our like second area we we're going to has ATV trails and we were planning on taking the quiet cats back in the electric bikes to be able to do that, which would have been a really useful tool. We just, we really never really had to go to plan B except for today. Like we just did a little bit of, um, we wanted to hunt, you know, closer to the truck this morning. Cause we only had the morning to hunt essentially. And then you got to head back to Minnesota and I got to head back to Pennsylvania, but um, after today. And so we were just finishing up some stuff, but nonetheless, we backpacked in, uh, to this area and set up our camp the night before. I don't think did we didn't hear any bugles or anything that, that first, that first night, but we went in to, it was super hot. Let's put it that way. Let's start out the, that the hunt was extremely hot. The first week temperatures were going to hit triple digits, hundred degrees, freaking hot it was miserable way too hot way too hot yeah um thought it would keep the hunters out of the woods which it did during the week but the weekend uh my brother yeah my brother came in that first weekend and he said there was 13 vehicles next to ours at the trailhead so that was uh tough we did run into a couple hunters that the nice guys uh the first day and we were trying to hunt water because it was so hot and there wasn't very much water so if there were some stock tanks that we sat over in a couple wallows and we didn't see anything or hear anything the first day, but you know, you could tell the elk sign, the elk were there. So the next day we decided to go to a different location and, and I wasn't sure how the calling was going to, how, how aggressive I was going to be with calling. I've had some luck with it in the past and some not, but I, I wasn't sure. And both Tim and I were a little call shy at first. And then when we were up, we were up glassing at this one point and dropped down to the bottom. And I was like, should I do a cow call? And Tim's like, Tim and you were like, yeah, might as yeah, well. Send one out. Why send not? one out. So I did a cow call and one bugle. And, and the thing was, he was, he was coming from the bottom and he was, but he was ready just about up to bed. And that, that was, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning or something. And, and like, all right, let's make a plan. Like, I think, you know, we looked at Spartan Forge and pulled it up. It's like, okay, good idea that he's going to bed around this corner. We kept him bugling until he went to bed. And we're like, once he was in the same spot, bugled a couple times, like, okay, he's probably bedded there. And this is where I think our game plan was was on point from the standpoint of we knew thermals just switch and they're starting to rise. So we couldn't just go straight at him. We did a big loop around, yeah. uh, which was required a lot of hiking and our legs were still uh still not completely used to the mountains at that point so it was it was a little ways and we got up there and then we waited on the back side of where he thought he was bedded until the thermal settled out about 11 in the morning before we went in for the the move there 
Yeah, that was perfect because it kind of let us get like a lay of the land and, you know, right away sent out that cow call, had one bugle, um, kind of just seeing where everything is, you know, first day back there, just kind of getting the lay of the land. We, like you said, we knew it from bear hunting, but, um, but that was a good move. Just kind of find where he's going to bed. It's the, you know, we're just getting into the hunt, play it safe. Let those thermals get, you know, get rising and come in from, you know, the backside from above them. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that was nice. And actually we, as we were sitting there waiting for the thermals to switch, he bugled and, Mm -hmm. and we were, he was almost exactly where we thought he was. And so we were only 150 yards from him at that point. So we kind of moved into position and you went with Tim. So Tim was going to be the shooter. I was going to be the caller and we worked back. So I, I angled with the wind to try to get it right. And as you guys were setting up, a bull came through Went right past me, 35 <laughs> yards, and I'm, like, looking at him, and I was like, he's going to go right to those guys. And then I look over, and I see Tim walking from the spot <laughs> parallel to the bull, but it's so thick that the bull didn't see Tim. Yeah. Tim didn't see the bull. I, I was blown away by that. Like, I just, I, I couldn't believe that, that that happened, and I didn't know this until after, and then... You know, so I started doing a little bit of calling. I started calling earlier than I said I was going to. And then I hear, I hear some like, sound like an elk running. And I was like, uh oh. Uh, and, and you can kind of take it from there what happened. Well, it was, it was weird because, um, we heard the bugle, right? We knew, we kind of knew where he was going to hopefully come from. Um, and we, we talked about, uh, the three of us, like three different spots we could have set up. We were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. Like, well, if he circles, he's going to catch our wind. So let's go to here. And we kind of just kept pushing until we found a spot that we were all like, this could work. And we were set up, you know, ready for him to come into that little opening that was right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, the first time, like you said, it was so thick. The first time Tim actually saw him, uh, which was a different bull, by the way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm getting ahead of myself here. No, no, you're good. Keep going. Um, you want to talk about that bull? That... Uh, no, I already talked about the okay. bull that I saw. Um, so that one that it came around the first time Tim saw it, it had already worked, um, you know, almost behind us. Uh, and it, it's just so thick in there and it, you know, you think when, when you're walking, it's loud, everything's loud. Cause it was so dry. We didn't hear anything. We, you know, we just saw him standing right there. Um, and we could hear you calling and everything. And I think your calling really, um, made that bull come around because I think he was just going to walk straight away from us. But I think you cow calling, um, you know, you were kind of like the quarterback in that situation. It was like, you were, you know, on this side, we were in the middle and the bull was past us. So when you were calling, he was kind of circling around. Yeah. So that's when we saw trying to get downwind. He was trying to get downwind. Right. Yep. So. And then, and then at that point, once you guys saw him, Tim was able to draw and stand up and be able to get a shot at that point. And, and that's when I heard the running. And so I waited a little bit and I cow called again and bugled. And then I heard you guys whistling. I'm like, okay, something happened. So I ran over and I could see Tim just, you know, just, you know, beside himself kind of, you know, just down on his knees, like, holy cow. I'm like, and I looked and he didn't have an arrow on his, on his, uh, rest. And I was like, all right, he, he made that happen, mm-hmm. and you were able to to capture the bull on film and everything else. Even though he came in behind you, you're able to turn your camera and and be able to get that. But right off the bat, we we kind of figured that um, the shot might be a little bit back 
because mm-hmm. the bull's leg was in a different position than what Tim had recognized, and he he realized that right off the bat. The arrow hit where he was aiming. It just it was just a little bit far back because with elk with where their vitals are, it almost looks like you know they're big vitals, but they they're a lot of it's covered by what looks like the shoulder blade, which is actually what they call the vital V, which where you can slip an arrow in there pretty easily. So his arrow was sticking in a tree behind there. He had an iron wheel on it, right, zipped right through it and stuck in that tree. And we waited it about an hour and didn't hear any crashing or anything to, to start blood trailing. And we blood trailed for a little while and then it looked decent. And, but it looked like liver, it looked like liver and maybe one lung. And so we're like, all right, we need to give this bull time but we couldn't give it too much time because of how hot it was getting yeah it was 96 97 degrees yeah you know or going to be in an hour or two at that point yeah so we you know at at that point we're like okay we lost blood and we circled we waited back and we waited another hour or so but we're like we're gonna have to gonna have to keep pushing and but we lost blood so it turned into kind of a grid search and we spent the rest of the day uh, grid searching the top and then we went and checked water because a lot of times you know there wasn't very much water so we had places to check and you know elk will go to those places and and nothing nothing we're like wow what the heck you know it looked like the the shot you know should be deadly there and and we kept searching searched the rest of that day searched the next day and nothing and it was, you know, pretty disheartening. My brother came in to help look and, and just covered that every square inch of that, that, that ridge top, the bottoms around it, um, covered a lot of ground. And, you know, Tim was pretty you know disheartened. That's his first bowl. And, and he, Tim's a very, very, very good shot. And he was just like, man, I, I just misjudged where the vitals were on him and hit a little bit back and, a little bit low and actually would have been hard if it was a little bit further forward. But, um, nonetheless, uh, then after a couple of days there, he had to head back to work and we were like, okay, we'll just keep looking. It was labor day at that point. And, and we kept looking and, you know, slash hunting at the same time while we were doing it and never could cover the, you know, recover that bull. We told some other hunters we ran into if they look, you know, look out for it and, and, uh, you know, at that point we're like, all right, the meat's definitely spoiled. So there's not really anything else we can do other than look for the crows and listen for coyotes. And, you know, that's really about it. And I'll skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, a week later, I was in a completely different part of it, of the, I mean, we were two and a half miles from the shot and came across the bull dead. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we were down on that little bottom piece, and uh, we could smell it when we came over the hill. It smelled like elk, you know, like there's just stuff going on in there, and then it smelled like death, like death. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a little better way to say it. Um, but we just kind of circled down and around and walked up right on it, laying there. So, not yeah. the 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 best way to end that story because obviously Tim didn't get any of the meat from it, you know, yeah. with it being so hot and spoiled. But at least uh, the bull is dead. It's not wounded out there, you know, limping around. It's dead. Uh, Tim came in, recovered the rack, tagged it, did everything right. So Yeah. No, I, res- I respect him for that, you know, because actually he was coming back when we found it. He was on his way here to do some more searching and then help out a little bit with the hunt. And I called him right before he lost service, and I so happened to have service at that spot, which is rare. And 
I was like, I found your bowl. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> and he came in and he did the respectful thing. He's like, I put an arrow in it. He's like, this really sucks. I can't get the meat off it. But the bears, the coyotes, everything else ate very well. Um, that, that thing was cleaned right down to the bone basically in that short amount of time. And, uh, we were able to confirm it was a bully shot based off the video footage and everything that he had. And he put his tag on it. He put his Montana tag on it and, and, you know, took the, took the skull and the head out, but it, um, it's yeah, not the, not the best ending to the, the story of his, his first elk, but at the same time, it was, it was great that we had that opportunity that, that soon and just realizing how tough bow hunting is and how quickly it can go go haywire as you'll hear a little bit more as that as the story goes on but um to kind of continue with it here we've had hot weather but we were finding elk we found elk you know from after that day we were finding elk quick and we found a herd that had multiple bulls in it and a ton of cows already yeah like i'm talking 50 cows that was with this herd and I was like, there's gotta be a big bull leading it. And I remember that one morning they'd head up the mountain every morning, different times. It wasn't like you couldn't pattern them, but we knew that at some point they were going to come up the mountain and, and I think it was day four or five, something like that. I slid in, um, you and I slid in and there was two bulls going back and forth. One was a herd bull and one was one that was trying to be a contender and they were screaming and got in this thick, this is the the other part of this story is you're going to hear me say thick a lot because <laughs> this stuff yeah. that these elk are living in was as it, think of like a eight year old clear cut with you just got branches everywhere trees everywhere all different sizes you got junipers that are waist high you've got jack pines you've got other pines you've got all this stuff it's difficult to move through there so we got in within 50 yards of these two bulls and we still can't see them at this point and i looked at you in the camera i said i'm gonna challenge him and i just screamed a bugle in his face and that thing let out a roar like you never heard and he came busting through the brush it was it was I'm I'm shortening up the story a little bit. You'll be able to see some of it in the film, but it came busting in and I had a window. You didn't, you weren't able to have a window cause of where it was at on film and everything looked good. I saw one branch going over and I thought my arrow could slide underneath it. That was incorrect. My arc of the arrow hit it. It was 40 yards, hit it. And you watch my nocturnal dive right underneath him, right into the dirt. And I was like, oh, and he, he didn't know what happened. The no wind was good. Happened. And actually almost called we him back in. We almost got him back in. We got really close that second time. I just remembered that. Yeah. We almost called him right back in. And this was a big six-point bull, real real yep. big bull. And uh, he wasn't the herd bull, but he was a big bull. And he, you know, we keep working on him. And then the herd was going off. So he just, he's like, screw this guy. I'm following the cows and, and the rest of the herd. So he kind of just kept going and we kept moving on him and almost got another shot as we chased him up the mountain um almost got a shot i saw the herd bull for the first time and i was like oh my gosh he's freaking (laughs) huge and almost got another shot and just kept going kept going chase we chased him all the way around they went up the mountain and then circled back around to to bed and and basically we did this for another 
four or five days <laughs> yeah. of just chasing them to bed. And then the evenings were completely silent during that hot weather. So the evenings we'd go find a place to sit water and didn't have any luck, but we, that's kind of the, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. First part? I'll back way up here. Okay. Um, well, just to, um, the one where your arrow had a branch. The cool part for me about that was how long we worked that bull and played cat and mouse with him before we got the shot. From the time we first made a move on him to when you actually shot was probably, I mean, over an hour or two. Yeah. And we would just, I mean, once again, so thick. We would just slip in and he was ripping. He was bugling. Every time you would call or do anything, he would. He was just on it. And we were very mobile on that one. We would, anytime he bugled, we would move this way, move this way, move forward 20, 30 yards, try to find, in all of that, try to find a lane where you could shoot a little bit. Uh, the bull would bugle just off to the left a little bit. We were watching our thermals and our wind, and we were just kind of just always staying around him and being safe but aggressive at the same exact time. And it kind of got to that point, like you said, when you uh, said you were going to challenge him. That was after like a solid 45 minutes of like, cow calls and getting close and it, it got to a point where he like it would ring your ears when he would bugle yeah it was that close and that's when you were like it's it's go time like, yeah i'm doing it now but it was just so cool because it wasn't like we just walked up on him and saw him it was you know one wrong move by us one anything and he would have winded us and it had been over and we just you know we just were on him for however long it was and then you finally got the shot so yeah no i'm glad you, i'm glad you added those details the one thing that I learned a lot was about these elk is wind, which which is it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but wind means everything. Like they can even see you and not be spooked as much as you know. If they wind you, they're freaking gone. They're gone. But if they if they just get a visual or they hear you, it's not as big of a deal as that wind. So we just. I mean, I was throwing milkweed like it was going out of style, like just tossing it everywhere, you know, and it's, it's shifting and it's changing at that point in the morning and just kept like, like you said, cat and mouse. And we kept until we got so close and aggressive and that thick cover helped us get close, but it was a detriment to trying to shoot. Like there was many places that we, we were probably even closer than 40 yards at some points. You still couldn't even see them. Yeah. You'd hear them smashing branches, raking trees, just like, oh, it was, it was in some of the craziest experience that I've that I've had you know elk hunting and and so much so much fun but that we we spent so much time on this herd and learning it and I, I've never spent that much time around elk uh as as we've done on this trip and I'm I'm not a good elk hunter I just and Justin was a huge help in this as he's hunted with a bunch of really good elk hunters or and filmed a bunch of really good elk hunters so we just kind of like we just kind of kept playing them and and then, you know, a few days later, we got in on the herd once they bedded. You know, we get in when they're bedded. And this strategy, this, I loved this one day. We, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, 
deer prediction and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. We'd work in, you could tell the herd bull was out here, and you'd hear cows around them, and then there was the satellites on the outskirts, and so we'd slip in. We actually got so close to one of the satellites because he was bugling the other direction and didn't realize we were that close that we bumped him at like 15 yards. It was so thick. And yeah. uh, we jumped up that five point. He ran off and we're like, okay, just keep going. Just keep going. Wind was still good for us. And we got set between two bulls. And I remember I started cow calling and they're bugling back, but they weren't coming in. So I just ripped. I just tried to get the temperature of the bulls and it ripped a good bugle. And that one came in, but being... And I tried turning my head when I bugle, so it sounded like further away, but they still know right where the heck you're at. And those that bull pinned where we were at. He he couldn't see us. You know, we were we were sitting there, and but he'd come out, and he, he was only 45 yards, but he was in complete brush, and you could just see his head looking. And he stood there and stared for 15 minutes, I bet. Yeah, And yeah. then he left, and then we called him back in. And same thing, he wouldn't come. And even we even adjusted at that point, but he he would not come so we're like all right and then other bulls are bugling like okay we got to keep moving and we just kept going and then at one point i go justin i said there's cows all around us like we snuck <laughs> right in we had cow we like inside the herd at first we saw a cow at like 50 yards and then i'm then we're like there's one right there like 15 yards yeah and uh <clears throat> the herd bull is right on top of this hill and we couldn't we couldn't get him fired up enough uh, to to do anything with, and then eventually it was like, okay, we need to back out and readjust. And we sat on the herd, and and um, they went a different direction quickly, right right before dark, and weren't able to catch up with them. But uh, our strategy became as we as we went on through the hunt, you know, even days later, was following the herd up the hill, trying to get a shot, which is very difficult. They have one goal is to push cows to bed, and calling wasn't really effective at that point unless you were right on top of them which was hard to do with keeping the wind right and then we'd sit and we'd get close to the herd and just cow call every once in a while which we did have some luck with bulls coming into us there um had a spike uh bull that could have shot and some other some other elk that came in and just weren't able to get shot opportunities at but um the the one the one day we were doing that this is a funny story uh <clears throat> we're like okay the herd's bed and we were hungry so what we do is we wouldn't eat breakfast until after our main push after the herd because I didn't want to eat breakfast at four forty five in the morning or five o'clock in the morning so I was like all right we'll just carry our stove with us and whenever we get time in the morning we'll eat we'll eat a you know a packaroon or a protein bar or something you know to keep us going and 
we're like, all right, we're hungry. They're laid down for the day. Let's wait till the thermals are good. So we backed off. We thought we were far, far enough away from them. I didn't realize there were some satellites that kind of branched out and we were sitting there cooking with the jet boil. And I'm like, I hear something. And I'm like, jet boil is running full. Yeah. It's yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm like, ah, whatever. All of a sudden I look behind and there's a six point bull staring at us. He takes off running. At like what? 40 yards. Yeah. Yeah. If that, if that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you gotta be kidding me. You know, I threw a little pity party for like 30 seconds and then I'm like, all right, let's try to call him back in. We get up cow call, sit there for about 20 minutes. Nothing like, all right, let's go finish our meal. He's spooked. We sit back down first spoonful in the mouth. He's right there again. Same exact spot. He would have been at 15 yards. And if we would have, you know, been still standing there. And that's when I learned you got to give him time sometimes. And he comes in silent, you know, he came in silent and he took off and, that was, we had another time on the trip where we had a bull come in when we were eating breakfast too. I don't know what it was. I think it's the jet boil. Yeah, it was kind of like our joke. Like, well, what time do you want to get busted by a bull today while we're eating breakfast? You want to do it now or you want to wait an hour? Yeah. Because it's just like, it was just so weird. Especially when that one came back the second time. Like, he didn't wind us the first time, so I don't think he was super spooked. I think he just like, because you know how it is when you're eating, you're kind of laying down by a tree, you're kind of low profile. He probably saw us move and really didn't know what he was looking at. And then the second time, you know, he came right back yeah. in, but it was just kind of our joke for the whole time. It's like, it's just, yep. and then after that, you couldn't even hardly enjoy your meal because your head's on a swivel. Cause you think every elk's going to come in now. Yep. No, for sure. And, and we just, and the herd continued to grow bigger is what we learned. The herd just kept getting bigger. And as the herd got bigger, they were very, they were a lot less receptive to calls. Yep. Because, okay. The herd, why would, why would a bull come to fight you when he's already got six seven other bulls around them that are there that they're just they just bugle back and forth for vocalization to see where they're at and why would he come into a cow call when there's 50 cows that are in this spot already like it just doesn't it they just weren't they weren't coming in and at the same time we had a lot of hunting pressure move in yeah and ran to some other people calling and and doing that and it it became it became difficult they started changing their bedding up a little bit and we met we met a lot of really great people out in the woods that were hunting and they were nice and mm-hmm. easy to go and then there were some others that that paid no attention to wind or anything and was were continuously kind of bumping through the bedding elk yeah walking <laughs> like say the thermals are <laughs> rising and they come in from the bottom and as we're sitting on the herd and you know blow them out and the, then the elk started moving. They started moving uh, to different areas, and they started even moving on to private at some points. And it made it a lot harder as we as we started going on. And and then one day, I remember we we actually went to look for more elk because we were struggling so much with get, getting close to these ones. Like maybe we can find some lone ones, and we did. We found some ones on different ridges, except for oh man, they were. They're too smart. The single ones are too smart for us. They are. (laughs) The single ones are too smart and they wouldn't, wouldn't respond unless you basically, which we end up jumping some in the beds because we got so close. Yeah. They weren't um, responding. So we just, we're trying to get close to them. And, uh, and during this whole trip, we named all these bulls. We had Pablo Escobar, the Marlboro man, Marlboro man, Jose Bulvo, um, 
it all started back in Idaho years ago. We joked around. We'd come up with these names for these elk, like people do for deer, and uh, and it was they're all named after like uh, liquor drinks and Roger Raghorn. Roger, about Roger that, that, that was the one that Tim shot. Yep, Roger Raghorn, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so the bull I missed that we had named uh, Pablo Escobar. Next thing you know, we're sitting there. We hear a whole bunch of commotion. Four cows come busting out of the brush, not on a trail, right behind us. And he's right behind them, runs past us at seven yards. And I couldn't get him to stop. I'm at full draw, and he just ran right past us. And he looked huge when he was that close. Oh, my god. He gosh. was just a giant. It was just one of those things. We heard him running. We heard him coming in. And it's like, what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? And we're kind of like, you know, what's going to happen here? And they just ran right on top of us. Those cows, I mean... If they would, if they they cut to the right on the back side of the tree that we were by, had they not done that, I probably could have smacked one with my hand. Yeah. Like if they had kept running straight, yeah, um, yeah. And then there's about a three second gap, and here he comes running through. And Bo tried to stop him. He's at full draw, swinging with him. Um, props to you on that one. I feel like a lot of hunters would have sent an arrow into his guts or his hindquarters on that one just because he is so close that in your mind you think you can do it. But, man, are they fast. Yeah. They're so fast, you know. No, I didn't feel good about it, and I wasn't going to shoot unless I felt confident in the shot. And and it's funny. You see the video. It... <laughs> It the sound I made to try to stop him because I didn't have a I didn't have my mouth call in was a mix I was trying to do a bark but somehow did like a mixture of a cow call and a bark and it turned out sounded like a donkey and but nonetheless I don't think I think you could have screamed at him yeah and there was... nothing, they they were and and it looks like like they were rutting but I'm pretty sure they got busted by some other hunters um and right. the way they were running like it just seemed like that had to have been the situation but uh they came running right past us and man what a what a rush that was though that was kind of it was kind of a kick in the nuts but at the same time it was super cool to be able to 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 see that right it was kind of disheartening you know seeing him run off and his antlers are hitting branches and he's tipping his head and he just looks giant it's like ah but at the same time it's like there's just nothing you can do there you tried to stop him he was running they, the cows were running you know what do you do you can't really get too you know, heartbroken about something like that. Cause it's like, he just didn't stop. Yeah. Was, you know, it is what it is. Yep. So, it is what it is. That's exactly it was a right. very, very cool encounter though. Yeah. That's yeah. the closest, you know, as far as like visibility and everything, that's the closest I've been to a bull of that size and maybe ever. I mean, that was only, like you said, seven, eight yards. Yeah. That was cool. It was cool. <laughs> um, so we, we did a lot of bouncing around and after that, you know, one morning we were on this other hill and we're like, I'm like, man, I want to try to get back on that herd again. Like let's, and you're like, let's do it. Let's go. So we dropped down off one hillside up the other and it didn't take long. They were bugling at like noon. Um, we found them, you know, just in their beds. And so we got close and just sat on them all day. And, and then as they started firing up again around four or five o'clock in the afternoon, we moved even closer and got into to kill position. And what we learned was to, Basically, everything's gauged off that herd bull, and that's what we call the Marlboro Man because he sounds like he smoked cigarettes his whole life because he's just raspy, deep, you know, very distinguishable. Oh, you know when it's him. You know exactly yep. when it's him. And so we moved in, and we were a little ways away from him, but there were some other bulls around us, and they started moving at that point. 
and they're moving away from us. But I'm like, this other bull is going to come in. And at that point, my dad actually had texted me. Um, we went out for a day uh, to take a, or like a half a day to take a break, went to my brother's house. And my dad's like, would a decoy help being a solo caller? And I'm like, first I'm like, no, that's, you know, and I'm like, wait, maybe, maybe it would. So I bought one of those Montana decoys that was just the ass of the elk, the backcountry elk. It's like nine and a half ounces. We called her Sandra. 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 Because uh, Pablo. Yeah. Is little, yeah, was yeah girl. Pablo's girl. And so we set her up and, but then the bull worked close to us, but just out of sight again, heading towards that herd bull. So we just, we picked Sandra up, threw her in the pack and ran. And yep. just ran to try to get in the middle of them. The wind was good. Thermals were still coming up. We got to one point. I'm like, holy cow, Marlboro Man sounds like he's coming back at us. Like, so he spun around. And all of a sudden, we see a cow come crashing up through the brush. And she runs out. And she pegs us at, like, 15 yards out in the open here. He's coming up through the brushes, bugling. He can barely fit through that brush with his antlers now this buck or buck this bull is much bigger than pablo way bigger different class of animal yeah when you yeah. see a herd bull that's i don't know 340 350, 350 plus yeah um type bull you know it and i was like oh my gosh and i went to full draw and he stopped because she stopped and i saw a little bit of a gap there i could just see kind of his vitals there in these branches he's about 18 yards kind of low light it's hard to see all the branches we had probably about 15 20 minutes of shooting light left and i'm at full draw and i remember i had my my top pin on that that dialed sight was 30 yards at that point and i knew he was closer so i put it down right about his heart and i just practiced this shot we were just we were just down here you know shooting figuring out you know been doing it all summer but figuring out where where it hits at that point so i put it down just below his heart and i'm like i can squeeze it through there my pins look pretty good i shot you could hear well i see the nocturnal go and somewhat it was kind of hard with the um one just being adrenaline filled like that and it but i felt solid as can be and after watching the film you could see where or hear where it kind of clicks some branches and I'm like, ooh, that looks high. That looks high. And he runs off, and he's still bugling him, cow calling. He takes, rips off. I'm like, holy cow. Like, what just shot, happened? What yeah. just happened? Like, <laughs> shot the biggest bull that I might ever see. And I was just like, and I felt like super good other than it was a little high. But I was like, that's got to be high lung. And so I, I called my dad again on this one spot on this ridge we had some service and i was talking through it with him and and he's like find your arrow and i'm like i can't find the arrow i can't find it has a nocturnal on it should i should be able to see it and then it, it got dark and i could not find it well one the nocturnal shut off right after <laughs> it hit so that didn't help um uh two the arrow had actually stuck in him so what had happened was um we ended up that night. So okay, I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about it. But we blood trip. We couldn't find blood right at the shot. And it was hard as getting dark, you know, which is typical with yeah. the high hit as well. So. And we just I remember I took a picture from where I shot, which was key at this point. And I remember where he ran around and looped around. So I kind of followed those trails. And trying to follow tracks is difficult because there's so many elk. So many elk. It looks like cattle trails. Yeah. So, and even when they're not on trails. 
it's so hard to follow a single track because there's so many elk in there. You can follow a, a track for 20, 30 yards and then it's just crossed and it, it, it just, it's, you know, you just can't do it. Yeah. So we follow it around and, and eventually find my arrow and it's broken two pieces and there's still a third piece that with the broadhead on it, I'm like, that's still in them. Like, so and it was broken. There was look like good blood, you know, two thirds of the way up the arrow. And I'm like, okay. I, I was at this point, I'm like, all right, high lung stuck in his opposite shoulder. Like must've just nailed that. And, and you know, I was like, okay, that's, that's probably what happened. So we started blood trailing, blood trailing, good blood, good blood. We walked for 350, 400 yards falling good blood. Like not, not like buckets dumped out, but I never had to stop to look for no. blood. It was always just slow right walking, noticing. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just dripping. It wasn't spraying. It was just dripping, which is a key point to this. And he was still chasing cows, zooming in and out of stuff, in and out of brush, going up. And then we lost blood. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be cold overnight. At this point, we're at day 13, 13 of the hunt, like something like 13, 14. And it was September 14th. I do know that. And I'm like, all right, let's 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 back out and come back up at first light and look for him. But then I was like, I kept hearing his bugle yep. a ways away. And I'm like, that's with not the herd. With the herd. I'm like, that's not good. So like, all right, let's, let's hike all the way back to the truck to put the, put the footage on your computer so you could slow it down and see if we could see anything. And you couldn't see the shot impact because the tree was in front of you where I had shot again. through <laughs> once again, it's so thick. Yeah. But once it ran away, you could see the arrow sticking out of it and the nocturnal had shut off. Like I said, when it hit, but you could see the arrow and it was high, like yeah. way higher than I expected. Basically. I don't know how it didn't spine them. It was that high and it was right behind the shoulder where I wanted it to be, but just high and must've had deflected high. I, I, I have no idea how it could possibly have hit at that point. And, but you could see the arrow sticking out running away. And, you know, I talked to my, I sent the picture to my dad and everything. And he sent back the, anat- a picture of the anatomy of an elk and stuff. And I'm like, I literally think I missed everything. I yeah. think I just missed the spine just below that was the top of the lungs. Like I just missed everything by an inch, missed everything by an inch, any direction. Yep. You know? And I'm like, crap. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, he bled enough that, you know, he's going to die and he was just running. So he didn't know, you know, he's so it's good that he just keeps moving and running. We went in the next morning, checked, couldn't, we found one more speck of blood, like five feet later on a branch. That was it. Uh, did a bunch of grid searching, checked uh s- some water spots that were there and where the herd went we went in that direction overnight found where the herd was but couldn't find any more blood couldn't find any beds where he bedded down nothing and getting pretty disappointed actually ran into some other hunters who were was where they were hunting the same area and they knew that bull's bugle they're like oh you shot you shot him yeah and I'm like, real yeah. raspy one right yeah the big real raspy one. Like, yep that's him <laughs> and then all of a sudden we heard him we heard him that next day and i'm like Oh, that's gotta be him. And then, uh, but we're still, so we're like, all right, let's follow that. That's our best lead. You know, maybe he's still going to die. And then we ran into those other hunters again. They're like, oh yeah, we heard him. You know, he's, he's moving around this morning. Um, we 
And so that day, nothing happened. Next day, we went and got on him again, found him, and ended up getting getting a, a view of him quickly as he's pushing the cows up. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year, and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddy's Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Seemed just fine. Just fine. And the thing too, like just to kind of set the stage a little bit better than I guess we did, like we in this area where we had been hunting for, I mean, basically a week at that point, maybe even more. Yeah. There was, I mean, we would hear hundreds of bugles a day, like quite literally hundreds, but it wasn't that, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't that many bulls, right? So like we would hear that bull and all the satellites just all morning long from the minute we got up there, um, all the way until noon, sometimes into the afternoon, we could tell, you know, after a week of hearing all that over and over, you could kind of tell like what was going on. Like that bull, like a lot of the satellites were a little more higher pitched, um, you know, we could tell who Pablo was when he was bugling, Yeah, you know, just from having encounters and hearing them. So when we heard that bull, it was, it's just a completely different bugle. It's not even the same as the satellites at all. And when you hear it, you know, it's, it's just so raspy and growly. And, and when we heard that and then we got, a, we got a glimpse of them too, which was nice to, to yeah. just to confirm. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and the one other thing I wanted to say about that shot that I learned afterwards was. So what I wasn't thinking about, and this is my inexperience of hunting off the ground in this thick of country is, yeah, my sight picture was clear, but it was so close that my rest is a little below there. So when I'm going through, it doesn't take much to skip off that branch. I'm showing it on the video. So if you're listening, it's hard to see, but to skip off that top of the branch and deflect up, it doesn't take much to, to do that. And we had Ended up talking to some other hunters that had missed bulls same situ- in that area, yeah, same it's situation. It's so thick in here. It's so like, thick, I know. can't get an arrow through, you know, that, that situation. And and I, I'm not defending myself or giving, you know, that, um, you know, looking back, would I take that shot again? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt very confident in it. I felt good about my shot process, everything. It's just, it, 
didn't work out and I'm really upset that I drew blood and didn't get him. But that bull literally, we chased him for another seven days and yeah, or I guess eight days. And he still living fine. I mean, right now as we're recording this podcast, he's still okay. Like, yeah, he had an arrow in him, but it was in a non-lethal spot. Um, And it, again, not trying to justify it. It's just, it sucks 100%. Not only that I lost this big bull, but the fact that I hit a bull and uh, didn't recover it. I mean, that's, I just, I felt like we needed to share these stories and just be completely honest about it because people can learn, learn from these experiences and learn from this, you know, thick country that it's, it's tough and it's hard to find those shooting lanes and thinking about your setups and when you're moving and, and you know, what your shots look like. And it's, it's going to be close in that type area and, and you have some risk involved. Let's, let's put it that way. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so thick, once again, it's so thick that, like, we only saw elk 10% of the time that we were actually in them. You know what I mean? Like, you'd hear bugles 40 yards to the front of you and, you know, 60 yards to your left or right. And it's like, okay, and you could hear them running, you could hear branches breaking, you could hear the bulls chasing, you could hear satellites coming in off of another ridge coming down. You could hear all of it, but you couldn't necessarily see it. Yeah. And then it would come time where like your bull from the time you first saw him to the time you drew back was maybe four seconds. If that, if that, it was like yeah. bull right here, pull back. There's a cow. Here's my lane. I mean, it's just, it's so it's thick. quick. But that's also a good way to, if you can find a spot with a good lane to get in on them good, because especially when they're running around like that, they can't hear you. We walk, you know, yeah. we were being quiet, but we, we got inside the herd multiple times. Yeah. And although this, that this part obviously didn't work out for me. One thing that I was glad that I did ahead of time and practicing every day with my bow was, was figuring out where your pins hit at off yardages and judging yardages. Like I learned a lot about judging yardages just from every time I'd go to set up at a spot, Justin would see me, I click my rangefinder, I check all the trees around and that at first I'll guess it and then I'll confirm it. And as you start doing that more and more, you start getting better at it, but it's quick. You got to be, you, there's no time to range something like no. my Idaho bull where he was in that open and I could range him ahead of time. There's none of that. There's none of that. It's, it's no. quick. It, it reminds me of hunting whitetails off the ground in West Virginia or Pennsylvania, thick stuff. You, you just got to know yardages and you got to, um, be, be proficient on that, that aspect. So that was, it was, yeah, just tough. And, and so then I, I hunted that bull specifically, for days and days after it, trying to, trying to put another opportunity at them and more and more hunters moved in and they eventually became unhuntable. They, they moved to private and it was, it was unhuntable. So the last couple of days we kind of just moved away from them and, and, uh, tried hunting some other bulls, snuck up within 30 yards of a bedded cow with, uh, another small bull that I was going to try to shoot at that point and too thick. Couldn't get a shot. That was a cool one though, because, uh, we heard bugling on that hill all the time mm-hmm. and you threw a waypoint out there on Spartan Forge. You're like, he's going to be sitting right in here somewhere on this bench, you know? And yeah, sure enough, we, uh, you know, you, I think I have it on video, but I remember right before we saw him, 
you looked back at me and you were like, you know, the pin's right here. He's going to be bedded right over this hill somewhere. And I was like, all right, let's get ready. We crested the hill, dude, and he was 35 yards right. Like, I yeah. mean, I'm not trying to inflate your head, but you probably dropped the pin within 20 yards of where he was actually laying down. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. No, it was. Yeah, he was He was right there. And, and it was crazy that this is another thing. So from hunting this many days, you learn so much about elk, and they don't bed necessarily in the same spot every day. But if they're unpressured, they do a lot of times. A lot of times. Yep. We learned a couple things. Uh, right before rain, they would move down. They would start moving earlier in the day. At one point, it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they went to their feeding area. Like a solid, like six, seven hours before dark, they were yeah. already moving towards. And the problem is, is some of them would, they'd hit like that transition point on private. Yep. So if they start leaving at one, you you have 45 minutes of good hunting until you have to go find something else. Cause they move through that stuff so damn fast. Oh. It's so hard to keep up with them. You could sprint through the woods and can't keep up with them. And we speak that from experience. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of running. A lot of times. A lot yeah. of miles running. And uh, yeah, that was... That was, uh, it was crazy trying to, to figure it out. We learned that we learned certain wind directions. Yeah. They would, they would sound off or bed on, on certain faces, which was kind of, that was funny, you know, thinking of whitetails, not exactly the same, but you know, similar, but yeah, I, I had marked so many, every time I hear a bull bugle, I'd pull out Spartan Forge. I'd point it in that direction and I'd mark a waypoint. And how many times did we come across and be like, I hear bugle. I'm like, I bet he's right at this this waypoint, and he'd be and he'd be pretty there. close. Yeah. And that so like the the cool thing about this hunt, like a lot of elk hunts, uh, you know, you hear you guys you guys are putting on big miles and stuff, and they're ripping bugles trying to find and locate um, just bulls. We never had to do that. All we had to do was sit somewhere for ten minutes against the tree, and we'd hear a bugle fire off. Like it was, it was pretty hot up there for the bugles. Yeah. No, and, and I spent. The first four years of my elk hunting career, I guess if you want to put it that way, just trying to find elk. Yeah. And this at this point, we had found elk, but that's a whole nother thing to try to be able to, to, you know. And, and less than this, you're like, how you're you're probably thinking like, how did you not get it done that many days when you found elk just about every single day except for the last day, except for one day out of twenty one. Yeah. Yeah out of 21 days you didn't and honestly it's just that last one percent cody rich talks about this he he calls it you know you do 90 percent of the work you let them do nine and then you got to force that last one percent that last one percent is freaking difficult yep that yep. setup portion and and figuring them out like and again maybe uh, i'm sure there's you know better there's way better elk hunters than i am that would be able to make some of those opportunities happen um, I'm not there yet, but that we definitely learned a lot on this trip. And, and I think going into another hunt would be able to, and, and I don't think like not saying like this area is anything special. It's just literally, we found the elk and, you know, for a while there, they weren't really that pressured. There was a lot of pressure in the area, but not in that specific spot. We were back in there a ways, um, yep. that helped. And so that was uh, yeah, we were in elk a lot. It's just, so we got to learn their behaviors a lot. Got to listen to their different bugles, what they kind of meant. Um, got barked at a few times, <laughs> a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, a couple other things I want to want to say here is, so we were, 
I looked at my my Garmin watch, so I got my Phoenix 7. I was looking at, like, the steps and how much. We averaged 8.8 miles a day with 30-pound packs that ain't at a minimum over 21 days. Yeah. That ain't That's bad. a lot. Yeah. Like, I, that I, was a lot. I told you, uh, was it yesterday or this morning, I went down uh, two belt holes tighter <laughs> since we started. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, I, I'm sure I lost some weight too, but I was eating good, but it was just like, yeah, we were cranking. We were going. And, and we felt good after a while. Like, there was like a, there was like, it's like a bell curve. So you start here, and I was, I, I felt pretty good about my fitness at the beginning, but you still got to get your legs underneath you. It takes a few days. Get up, you know, by like day 10, we were cranking. Yeah. Just Never stopping for breaks, just moving when we needed to. We could sprint after elk. And then the last, like, three or four days, legs started getting wore out. Yeah. You know. My whole body was wore out. My, yeah. My back. My back and I shoulders. I bent over. I couldn't yeah. stand back up. And you're sleeping on a little air pad every night on the side of a hill. My my air, my sleeping pad would end up in the corner of my tent at the bottom. I had my seek outside Silex and I didn't bring a nest. So this is something I wanted to say. So I've slept in floorless shelters before, but never when it was so hot that there's spiders everywhere. And anyone that knows me knows that I freaking hate spiders more than snakes, more than anything. And I didn't even bring my nest with me this time. I was like, ah, I'm like literally something that weighs 15 ounces I thought I was saving out of my pack and didn't bring it along. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to get over my fear spiders real quick. Because first quick. night, you could hear me smashing them in there with my headlamp. I felt so bad for you because, like, I know your, you know, your fear of spiders. And it was funny because I was laying there, like, just about to fall asleep. And I would just hear you smack the, the canvas of your tent or the sidewall of your yeah. tent. And I'm like, oh, that poor guy. He's in there just... I smashed one of my pillow. Like, just, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it was terrible. But, yeah. uh, but I got I got used to it. I got it over it. It was good it. for you. Yeah. I, I needed to get over my fear of spiders, which I'm not over them. But I, I dealt with it for that many days and slept, slept in there. It was fine and... As cooler weather came in, there wasn't really any more spiders. So that was when it was hot. There was webs everywhere yeah. and spiders in all the trees. Which you had a solid <clears throat> like seven, eight days of hot weather where there was oh. spiders and moths and yeah, and you couldn't even go in your sleeping bag because it was so hot. No, no, it was so hot. Yeah, I had the tent open, just the the bug shield up because I don't want spiders in mine. Yeah, <laughs> and I could yeah. just hear you in there swatting stuff. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, that was. But we were wore out, and then the last two days, we got really cold temperatures, a high of 45 and rain. So, like, even when it, you know, it, it never snowed, but it got right around freezing and would rain. And here's a lesson learned. So, every hunt I ever go on, I always bring gators with me but af- and rain pants. But after, you know, a couple weeks of not having any rain, not having anything, I'm like, I can lighten up my pack, leave them at the truck. So when we came back down to look in my bowl, I left my rain pants here and I left my gators. I actually didn't even take my gators with me at all, even at the beginning, because the weather looked so nice, but not looking far enough ahead at the weather. My inReach pulled up like five days of weather, but I couldn't see beyond that. And we got this cold weather and this rain. And what happens is everything gets wet down low. So you have junipers that are just above knee high and you're just rubbing up against it. And it wasn't like a heavy rain, but just all day it rained and it was cold. So the bottom of my pants got soaked, which then soaked my socks. 
my <laughs> socks then soaked the inside of my boots. It wasn't that my boots were leaking. It was that. And it got to a point where my my socks were slipping in my boots and I was getting blisters so bad. My heels were just ripped apart. So I was using Luco tape, but that wouldn't even, and Luco tape sticks on for 10 days without having to pull it off. But when your feet are just that wet and your socks are that wet, it doesn't work. And my, everything was tore apart. I was just like soaked from the, you know, from the, basically the, just above the knee down, completely soaked. I was able to dry myself out at night in my sleeping bag. So this is why I use synthetic stuff over down. You know, you think about the rewarming drill. I did that eight years ago. Barclow's done it. And then we've talked about, you know, synthetic uh, stuff versus down and Merino. And I dried completely out at night. But as soon as I'd put those soaking wet boots on in the morning and my socks would get wet again. And it it was those last couple of days was a mental grind. I was freaking wore out just from the hunt, from the experience and not being able to capitalize the weather. It get, it put a damper on my mood for sure. Yeah. And it, it was like, it got so foggy. There was just so much moisture and everything was soaked and there was no staying dry. Like my, my boots didn't get wet cause I have a little taller boot. I think, I yeah. think that, that saved me. It didn't get right to my sock. But there was no staying dry because, um, you know, everything, the grass was tall. It was a matter of walking 100 yards from the tent and you were already, your pants were already wet. Well, and so here's another thing. So I, I wear, when I'm elk hunting, I typically wear the Apex pant from Sika. I'm wearing them here in this video. I love them pants. Super quiet, super nice from that. But they're they're soft, so they're meant to be quiet when you're going through brush. But they do soak in a little bit more water than the mountain pant that Justin had on. His has a DWR treatment on it that seemed to shed water a little bit better. Plus, your taller boot covered your socks, and you didn't you didn't have that problem that yeah. that I did. But gators would have solved gators would have solved all or rain pants would have solved all of our problems. Yep, hundred percent. So, you know the the fifteen sixteen ounces that you're saving, bring it. Uh, I can definitely help or, or you could grind it out. I mean, we ground it out. It just was freaking miserable. It was miserable. That night we were sitting by that tree and couldn't even sit down because we were both just freezing. We're yeah. standing there trying to keep warm, yeah, listening just, to all because our legs got all because our legs got wet. Yeah, we had, had a rain jacket on, had proper layering up top. It was all because of our feet and our legs and, and that, you know, that was a lesson learned on my front and I knew better. I knew better. Always carry that stuff and I didn't. Uh, so yeah, it was a good, good reminder for, for us there for sure. Um, I was real happy with like, so I changed, I, I wore a bunch of different clothes from Sika testing out different layering systems and stuff throughout the hunt. But like at the beginning when it was a hundred degrees, the ascent pants were my go-to. And then I switched to the apex as it got, you know, 75 and below, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, I love the apex. I always wore the core lightweight uh, short sleeve tee, and then I'd switch between the ambient hoodie over top, which that, that I can't say enough about that jacket. I've been testing it for three years now from the whitetail standpoint, and now it just released this year. Um, but breathable insulation keeps you warm when you need to. You can hike with it. You don't overheat. Great piece of gear. 
um, Jetstream vest. I use that for the windstopper aspect of it. Um, also use the Apex hoodie, which is, is, is really quiet and has some Merino built into it, some motor resistance and everything. But both you and I were wearing synthetic base layers for that long. And I didn't notice you smelling and I don't think you noticed me stinking after that. So Not like anyone that says that, you know, I think Merino has a lot of really good, uh, benefits to it and i like merino but synthetic dries out really quick and the polygene sick it has in that it didn't i didn't have any issues and not only that we were hiking for a solid eight nine ten days where it was 90 degrees yeah like we were sweating so that was a good true test to it yeah and after like halfway through the trip we did wash our clothes so yep. we were able to do that so but for a good 10 days of having having the same clothes on I was pretty impressed by yeah by that aspect of it. Um, and this is just a tip too. Like when I was talking about drying out stuff, I stuffed everything inside my sleeping bag. It might make your sleeping bag smell a little bit damp because it's going to pull that moisture out. But your body heat. So we ate a hot meal, drank water beforehand. Your body heat goes out and starts pushing that. You know, my my sleeping bag was almost soaked. You know, by the morning, but I was dry because it just pushes all that moisture out the way a layering system should work. And so that worked out really well. Um, one other thing before I want to keep going down the gear aspect of like what worked and what didn't was when uh, you talk about the fog, second to the last evening when that bull bugled, one of the other bulls that would bugle in the same spot all the time that we can never even lay eyes on and see and I still didn't lay eyes on them, but your camera caught them. Yep. So it was so foggy, you couldn't see 20 yards. We heard them bugle. And we still had 45 minutes of shooting light, but it was tough to see. It was very tough to see. So we got set up, and all of a sudden, I, I saw the glimpse of a cow come out, and he was chasing. And you hear his bugle just ring off in your ears. And he's, you know, anywhere from... It could have been anywhere from 40 to 60 yards at that point, you know, because that opening was tough to judge and with it being that foggy. And you caught him on camera. We haven't blown it up to be able to see exactly what he was yet, but and he's chasing around. And I was worried they were going to run us over. Yeah. Because they couldn't see us because it was so foggy. And our wind was good. I was I was afraid. And we were at the first spot of trees from the opening if they'd have came our way they'd have came into our little group of trees there and mm. it was cool because he ripped a bugle we were like holy shit he's right there and we sneak up into this little area we set up for a shot couldn't have been two minutes and you can just hear him in there with that cow chasing or you can hear you know brand like not sticks breaking you can hear like branches breaking you can hear his tines hitting stuff and he actually kicked her out into the open meadow um Maybe later in the day, maybe because it was so foggy, I don't know if he felt safe out there or if that just was what he was doing. Yeah. But he kicked her out into the opening and we were right there and it was just, it was another opportunity that wasn't an opportunity, but it was so close. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the next morning we went right back in there because that bull was bedding right above there. And we, we got in where he had come this, and we skipped a lot of stuff in here just to try to keep it somewhat short, but this bull would come from one direction every morning, but he wouldn't bugle until he was in his bed. So we got set up right below there, had the thermals good. Don't you know the one morning that we sit there, he comes from, he literally followed us in. Like, yeah. Had been right behind He us, had to have been right behind In the us. dark. And <laughs> we hear barking. And this time we got winded. And we're like, no. But I just kept barking back at him. 
and he never left. Mm-mm. We didn't know. So he barked back and forth with me and him for 15 minutes. And then we sat there for an hour and all of a sudden we hear him rip and he's only 70 yards, 70, 80 yards. Yeah. Yep. You know, I don't think he ever left there. I think he, yeah, I don't know what he did, but yeah, he hung up in there and yeah. then he ended up, he ended up, I don't know if our wind, no, I don't even know if he had our wind at that point. You no, know, he had to have he barked, but it was just like off enough where he might have caught a little bit of a scent, and then he ended up working his way up another ridge, and we tried chasing him. It didn't work. But nonetheless, back to the gear aspect. Another thing that – so I had used for the – for the first time I tried a new pack out on this hunt and I was kind of concerned about trying a new pack out on this long of a hunt, but I brought a backup just in case. So I brought my old trusty Sika mountain hauler 4,000 love that pack, but I just like trying new stuff. So I, I got a pack from seek outside. So I've been using their tents since 2016 when I bought the first Cimarron and I tried their Gosshawk 4,800, which is a breakaway frame. I'm going to do a video on it cause I was that impressed with it. But breakaway frame, and then I had their Merlin day pack that uses a compression panel on the back, but also as a day pack and a lid. The pack is 100% waterproof, and which was nice for the days that it rained and everything. I was concerned about the noise with it because it is waterproof, so it's a little bit louder, but really wasn't much louder than any other pack. I think it was about the same as mine, to be honest. I didn't yeah. know, like, it, I was walking behind you. Yeah. So, and never once was I like, man, that's a loud pack. Like, yeah. it's, you know. No. They're, they're all loud if you're smacking branches against yeah. them and you're trying to stock on something, you know. Yeah, definitely. And and I was super impressed with it. And multiple times that, so that the Merlin Day Pack has shoulder straps that'll pull out. So you basically pull this back panel off and you toss it on. And when we were chasing elk around, we would drop our main packs I'd grab that that was already had water in it, had a headlamp, had, you know, extra batteries if I needed anything, had some food and a puffy jacket and rain gear. I kept that in there, ready to go. I throw it on and you could run and, you know, only weighed, you know, 10 pounds at most. Well, probably less than that. Probably seven, five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Probably way less than that. Yeah. And it was able to run. I'd always mark the pack location, the the pack icon on Spartan Forge. I have them all over the mountains. We drop (laughs) our packs and go. Every day we dropped our packs and went. Yeah, for a while there at least. Yeah, yeah, and um, but I was really impressed by that pack. You know, Seek Outside's been making packs for a while. I just haven't heard much about them. I didn't really talk to anybody that used them, and I had an opportunity to try one. And I have I have no obligation to say anything nice about them. Seek Outside is a partner of mine, but from the tent aspect, and they're like, "Why don't you try one of our packs?" Like, you don't even have to use it if you don't like it. They're very just great with that. And I was like, "All right," I said, "I'm a." you know, kind of a weirdo about packs. I like certain packs and, and very impressed with it. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, especially if you're using it for the first time like that. Yeah. No, it was uh, yeah, really, really good pack. So I was, um, excited about that. But other than that, what about, what about you? Do you have any gear that stood out for you? Um, I mean, I've been kind of running the same everything for, you know, two years now, but um, I got the Sitka pack, uh, the mountain holler. I like that. It's actually really good for camera stuff, uh, just because there's a couple pockets in there, those top lids. Yep. Um, you know, I, I, I use the, uh, I have a pair of crispies for boots, uh, darn tough socks, which I like those a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, basically lived in these pants. I mean, I did, you know, Yeah. <laughs> I will say I, at first I wasn't sold in the knee pad idea. You know, when I first got them, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. 
But even after the, you know, this hunt, it's been proved to me over and over, but on this hunt, especially like when everything's wet like that, or when it's so thick up there, there's branches and pine cones everywhere. It's nice to be able to have knee pads. The How many times were we kneeled down? Like yeah. you get in a situation, if you stand up, you stick out like a sore thumb. So you had to kneel down. Right. So, right. Yeah. But other than that, I was running a, um, a core lightweight base layer, um, then a heavyweight hoodie and then a traverse, my puffy and my raincoat. And I just kind of floated with, you know, whatever there. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought, I don't think we really had any major gear problems mm. at all. I don't, did I have anything that failed? No, I, oh, I also liked that, um, Sawyer water system that I have. Oh yeah. That filter system. So I got the, the Sawyer's, the mini filter. It's super small, lightweight. I've always used a platypus in the past, um, which plugged up a lot. Use this one for 21 days. It started going a little bit slow. It needs back flush. But other than that, it worked great. I mean, we had relatively clean water that we were filtering. It was out of like cattle uh, tank, basically. Yeah. Um, but really happy with that system. It would filter four, four liters at a time. So basically a gallon at a time and help for both of us. We just use that one system for the both of us. Yeah. So, so every day, every day we were filtering probably eight liters at yep. least. I was carrying around five liters at a time. I had two of my East meets West now jeans. Um, and then my three liter bladder, you had a two and a half liter bladder and a couple now jeans. Yep. So yep. we, uh, yeah, that, that system worked out really nice that was something new i used i've had the jet boil forever um the igniter has been broke so i just use a lighter with it but it's i haven't upgraded it just because it's been working so it works good it works faster than mine i noticed it boils quick yeah it does boil it boils really quick and we use mine for everything on yeah. all of it you didn't even carry your stove up you just brought the fuel and i carried the stove and which that's a good way to do it like if you're hunting with another person like i'll carry enough fuel for us and you carry the stove and we'll have our own food mm-hmm. just to it's not a lot of weight being cut but there's no sense bringing two stoves and double the amount of you know yeah. fuel that you need so yep um, I was really happy with the the Silex, the Seek Outside Silex, the Florida Shelter. Like, I've used that since last year, I guess. I've had the Cimarron before that, and then I had the Courthouse Wall Tent on the Bear Hunt. But this was the first extended hunt I've got to use it on. I've backpacked with it and hunted with it three, four times now, but this is the first time that I spent 20 days in it. Very impressed with it, but I will probably bring the nest going forward. <laughs> um, it doesn't weigh that much, and it just gives you a little bit more of a homey feeling to it. So yeah. we we did have that hot weather. If it, if the whole hunt would have been forty five fifty degrees, you'd have a different perspective because there wouldn't have been any spiders in there. Once the temperature dropped down, yeah, all the bugs were gone. Yep. So just that first week, week and a half, that you know, yeah, getting you, yeah, definitely, and. um uh, we didn't get to use the, the quiet cats as much as I had hoped, uh, or not that I had hoped, but that I thought they were going to be like, you know, a really awesome tool and they, and they are for their purpose. It's just for this hunt, we didn't get to use them as much. And, and I'd never used an e-bike before, you know, they're, they're pretty solid. We used them this morning, struggled a little bit on like the super muddy clay trails, but you do that with just about anything. It was, uphill. Too, yeah. Uphill with rocks and big ruts from the rain. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, those things freaking pull you up hills. Like, yeah. And, and you have to pedal with it. It's not a, it's not a dirt bike, but you, it gets rid of a lot of, uh, resistance with it. Um, so the one, the models that I have here, the apex, um, 
bikes. Really happy with it. I'm actually about to to go on a hunt um, with Quiet Cap. They're not even they're not a partner of mine, but I've known one of the sales guys for a long time, and he asked if I wanted to do this like kind of a kind of a challenge where we go to a a uh, place in Illinois that's run as an outfitter, but they're bringing in a few of us to see if we can figure it out on our own and try to hunt it and ag land. I'm going to see if some of my mountain buck tactics will will work or how I need to adjust for that. So, but I, I, I'm planning on using these quiet cats in some areas that I'm allowed to, to ride them on um, this year for whitetails too. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that, that works out, but trying to think of any other gear that I had that I was like, you know, really blown away with. Um, you pretty much have your gear list dialed at this point. One yeah. thing that you do better than I do that I notice is your food. I'm more of like a chuck some Pop-Tarts, some granola bars, a bonus Starburst to my meals, and I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. And you have your calories down. Like, you know, you. I will say you did a lot better than I did on this hunt yeah. with food. Yeah, the Heather's Choice meals are super good. One of Okay, so I've always said the sockeye salmon chowder is my favorite Heather's Choice meal, and I think it's still there. But the spaghetti meal has as a close second now. Man, when I'd have that pop up in my food for the day, I'd be like, yeah. You'd always tell me about it. He's like, spaghetti tonight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that was that was really good. Um, uh, what else was it? There's just, there's a lot of, oh, and um, I, I have a pretty good storage system for everything now. I get those Mountain Ops flash bags um, in different sizes, and I'll put, like, one with all my water filtration, one with all my cooking stuff, a first aid kit that's a different color, Um I have my survival kit that's got extra tools for my bow and all this other stuff in there. And I have like all these things organized in these bags and it makes it so easy. And I'm color coded so I can pull them out and, and go. And that was, that was, uh, helpful for me. So yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't remember any major failures actually. So I think our gear has been pretty dialed from that standpoint. Yeah. At this point of hunting out west and all kinds of stuff it, it takes you a few years to like learn what's good and what you need to change and i feel like both of us now are at a point where like we'll always be changing gear and updating stuff just because but yeah i think what we have now and moving forward it'll always be pretty pretty good yeah no and i was happy with my bow setup although obviously i didn't connect with anything i felt really good with it that inline three i got from primes my favorite bow that i've had so far I just put a dialed archery sight on it. I'm trying out their triple pin. People saw some photos of it. Like, is that as a prototype? I know uh, Taylor and Jordan, a um, couple of the owners of the company, and uh, I said I wanted a triple pin, and they were already working. I wasn't the guy came up with the idea, but um, they let me try it out on this hunt. I was love that. So That's a sharp looking sight it's, too. It looks slick. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Um, yeah, so I think that's. That's really about it. I mean, the hunt, the film is going to be freaking sweet. Although there's not, you know, I didn't kill anything. Uh, the, the, I think the film's going to turn out really cool. The Just the audio of it. And I told you beforehand, and you had this vision too because we think alike, but, like, I wanted to capture the audio of September for people that haven't been out here that want to try it. Or just, like, sorry for the wind, but, or people that, have experienced it and want to remember it and like we've got all the sounds of september on there yeah we've (laughs) all the way down to turkeys called in a couple toms i had a tag (laughs) i didn't i i can't believe i didn't shoot one the the funniest part was when uh those turkeys were just yelping on the bottom they were coming 
and you had your your elk read in and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some clucks. And it sounded like a half bugle, half donkey, half turkey. And God, we were just laughing. Yeah. God, that was so I was so funny. used to making elk yeah. sounds. I couldn't figure out how to make a turkey sound. And then I finally got it. And I thought there were a couple hens. I just had my bow laying on the ground. Two big Two long beards toms. came in. I'm like, ah. And then, then I tried calling them back, and it didn't work. And then we had other opportunities at them, and I was like, no, focus on elk, focus yeah. on we, elk. We could have killed them if we went for it. Yeah. Just, but we were elk hunting, so I was like, if they come by and it's a good shot, we'll do it. Yeah. You know, but. And then whitetails, um, saw some mountain bucks. Yep. I found some scrapes that I marked. You marked them, and I was like, when are you ever going to hunt these? Like, I don't know. going to mark them, though. Yeah. <laughs> I learned from it. Found some mountain bucks. You found a mountain buck shed. Shed. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's mule pretty deer. cool. Yeah, whitetail, mule deer, elk, turkeys, bears. The squirrels, holy shit. Every time we set up and got ready, so, somewhere a squirrel would be chattering at us 20 yards away. Yep. And it would not, they would not stop. No, they would not stop. Oh, Gave away man. our location. Every time. Yep. Yeah, there's uh, so many grouse. I didn't shoot a grouse. Came close to shooting some grouse. Decided not to. Um, It was like... Oh my gosh, just every animal you could think of, you know, we were seeing them and just, it was awesome, man. The trip was everything I could ask for other than the fact that I'm still pretty pissed that I'm not going home with elk meat. I'm not going to lie about it. I come out here to kill an elk and I had an awesome experience and I have no, no faults about that and couldn't ask for anything more from, from the experience standpoint, but man is it really grind me that i i didn't kill something that's why we love it though it's just part of bow hunting elk you know <sighs> i know i know i yeah i guess i could say the cliche well i learned something and it was a great trip yeah you learn something every day you're out in the field yeah you know? no it was it was <laughs> no we really did but i'm gonna miss this place but it's time to focus on whitetails get back to get back to Pennsylvania. I won't even be there for the opener cause I'm going to Illinois, which is hard for me to do, but, uh, my payout good for you though. Yeah. I'm going to turn right around and got a, got a season packed ahead of us here. So I'm sure we forgot some stuff, but film will be coming out. We're putting a lot more content. If you're watching a video, I have the new deer camp hoodies. I don't think I've named them yet, but I'm thinking probably call them the deer camp hoodies. There you go. Design on here. Um, I've had them for a month and a half. Haven't had a chance to put them up on the website yet. If they're not live by the time of this podcast, they'll be up shortly after, um, waiting on some hats to come into t-shirts, I love this design. I drew it up on a piece of paper utilizing our deer camp and like how people pull in with a truck and a, and a buck in the tailgate and just kind of that old school vibe. And Jordan Riley at Captured Creative took it and, and made it a reality and put his spin on it to, to make it look good. I'm super pumped about it. It's like a heavy Carhartt super material. Heavy. I, I like it. It's like Very a yeah, heavy, warm, heavy, yep. warm Carhartt material material. Um, it'll be super cool at deer camp going out to the bars with your buddies, whatever else, campfires, weddings, anything weddings. <laughs> yeah. If you're in my town, weddings, they'll work for, uh, anything else. But, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And Justin, thank you for, for, coming out and i can't wait to see this film what it's going to look like bunch of bunch of good stuff coming out of it so thank you yeah thanks for bringing me this was one of the best outcomes i've ever been on it was it was awesome heck yeah man just keep grinding keep grinding
All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.